0: Well, good morning, Wedding Christian Church. I hope that you are uh, all gathered on your couches and around your tables uh, to come and join us for worship this morning. Uh, It's really good to be with you, whether that's in a virtual environment or uh, or a physical one. Uh, I just want to thank you so much for tuning in uh, to really help us finish out this wonderful series that we've been going through called Bitter to Better. I don't know if any of you remember, there was an old radio host, uh, his name was Paul Harvey, and Paul Harvey had a a a regular segment on his radio show um, called The Rest of the Story, And uh, when he would do this rest of the story, uh, he would tell the first half of the story. And then the last half of the story, uh, he would leave for later on in the day, later on in the afternoon. And it was always one of these things like, he left us on the edge, he left us hanging. What's going to happen in the end? How does this thing all turn out? And this morning, when we get into the book of Ruth, we find that God gives us the rest of the story, that this story about Ruth, you know, that this story about Naomi and Boaz actually comes to a, a wonderful conclusion that God gives. And we find this morning that, uh, that God makes us a part of the rest of the story, That when we are willing to be in the moment, in the story that God is is presenting to us, when we're willing to live in this moment, that God can renew our hearts and enlarge our lives beyond imagine, uh, beyond anything that we could possibly imagine, uh, that God will use our story in a powerful way and He can renew us from bitter to better. We have walked now five weeks through this series of Bitter to Better. And we have walked through each step of the way and we, we have just talked about and been honest with ourselves and honest with God that uh, that there's times in our life when we are bitter. Maybe there's a, a circumstance in our family. Maybe it's a divorce. Uh, maybe it's strife in relationships with our siblings. Uh, maybe it's a, a, a sense in which um, our work environment isn 't what we wanted it to be, and we 're bitter about that and there 's this this deeply rooted thing within inside of us that says "This is unfair i don 't like this i don 't want this um, and and God has throughout this series been changing our life and changing our heart from that which is bitter to that which is better and we 've been walking through the book of Ruth, and we've been looking at the characters. And there have been three primary characters. There was Naomi. And Naomi and her husband and her sons, because of a famine, they they left Bethlehem, the the breadbasket of the world where there was plentiful food. But it seems like God has brought a famine and they had to leave. And they went into Moab, which was absolutely unheard of. And then when they went into Moab, everything kind of breaks loose. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. And they go into Moab and there's there's more food there, but while they're there, Naomi's husband and her two sons die. And not just did they die, but, but they marry Moabite women. They marry Moabite women who can't, Can't give them children. There are no sons. There's nobody to take on the family line. And for Naomi, this is incredibly bitter. In fact, as she goes back, she takes Ruth with her because Ruth makes this incredible commitment to her. She says, I'm going to be there with you forever. Your God is going to be my God. Your people are going to be my people. And she commits her life to Naomi and says, I'm going to be there for you and we see as the book begins to churn along that this woman, Naomi, whose name means sweet, she says, My, Don't call me Naomi anymore. My name is Mara, meaning bitter. Don't call me sweet. Call me bitter, because she just has this feeling of bitterness. And God, slowly through the presence of Ruth, begins to change her life. And Ruth, the Moabitess, the foreigner, she comes in and God uses her faith and her commitment to God and to Naomi to see something incredible happen. And we begin to see God chip away the bitterness in Naomi's life until we find the rest of the story. Ruth comes into a, a, a field that is owned by Boaz. And she begins to glean there. And Boaz takes her in and gives her a provision. And where Naomi once thought that she was empty, now God has filled her. We find that, that Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. And that he's willing to use his place and his position and his power and his authority. And he is willing to take, take um, Naomi and Ruth under his wings and add provision to their life. And for the first time, we see Naomi begin to try and give to someone other than herself. And when we pick up this morning, when we pick up this morning, we have found that Boaz has redeemed Ruth the way he said he would. He's going to be a provider for Naomi for the rest of her life. And we find that We find that Ruth now is going to have a child. And in an incredible way, God sets them up for the rest of the story. So church, if you're interested in what the rest of the story is, if you're interested in how God's going to use their story, how God shapes a story to be larger than anything they could possibly imagine, then I want to invite you, where you are, wherever you are, on your phones, to open up your Bible and join me in Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4 is where we're going to begin this morning. We find that Ruth is going to conceive a child. That Boaz is going to go to her, is going to conceive. And some incredible things are going to happen And we're going to watch as God moves life from bitter to finally better. And we're going to see how God takes a life, maybe your life, and gives us the rest of the story. So would you join me? Ruth chapter 4. That's in the beginning of your Bible. It's in the Old Testament. Ruth Ruth chapter 4. And I'm going to read from verse 13. Ruth chapter 4. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The woman, the women, excuse me, the women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout all of Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Abinadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse the father of David. God is leading Ruth from bitter to better. Now for us to be able to understand the kind of bitter to better uh, that's going on throughout the book of Ruth, we really need to toggle back and forth uh, between the first chapter in Ruth and the fourth chapter in Ruth. Ruth. Because we need to see just how bitter Rus- or excuse me Naomi's life was. Naomi was extremely bitter before she was better. We see the better in chapter four, but we see the bitterness just growing in her in chapter one. I want you to go, if you have your Bibles, go over to chapter one, verse four. In one, verse four. Just notice what happens. They, married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth, after they had lived there about ten years. Now here's what that tells us. What that tells us is that Naomi's sons had married Moabite women. They had been there ten years, but they hadn't been able to conceive. There were no sons. There were no daughters. There was nothing. There were no children bouncing around. There were no uh, baby showers, okay? Okay. There were no uh, fun celebrations. I, I'm thinking of babies right now, actually, because just last night, our, uh, our niece, Ashley, uh, not my niece, Ashley, um, my niece, Lindsay, Ashley is the one that texts us, the other sister. And she was saying, hey, we're expecting a baby. And so we're texting back and forth. And she was thinking that her water broke. But don't worry, everybody, it was a false alarm. But there were no false alarms for Ruth. There were no false alarms for Naomi. There were no pregnancies. There was no excitement. There was no halo around the mother that was about to give birth. Uh, uh, There was no uh, pregnancy glow. There was none of that. And so you can begin to wonder, you can begin to imagine the kind of unfairness that Naomi finds herself in, but I want you to see how God makes it better. I want you to see that that where there was no provision before, God does something incredible in the fourth chapter, and we go from bitter to better. So if you go over to chapter 4, I want you to notice the words in verse 13. So Belaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. God steps in. I don't know why Ruth was not able to conceive before. Maybe the story would go entirely differently. But for 10 years, this this barren woman who could not conceive, the text tells us that the Lord enabled her to have a son. And Naomi's life, Ruth's life, begins to go from bitter to better. But that wasn't all. All. That wasn't all. God's doing a number of things in this story. Go back over to chapter 1 now and look in verse 12 and 13. I want you to hear the words. I want you to feel the angst that Naomi feels. In in chapter 1, verse 12. Return home, my daughter. She's talking to her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband, even if I thought there was still hope for me. Even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Hey, she's saying, I can't have any more sons. I can't do that. But I want you to notice what the author of Ruth says about Naomi. You see, God has opened up Ruth's womb. God has allowed Ruth to conceive. But I want you to notice how the text talks about Obed, Ruth's son, Boaz's son. I want you to hear what the text says about it. Look at chapter 4 and verse 17. The women living there said this, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Wait a minute, wait a minute. The women there said that Naomi has had a son. They didn't say, look, Ruth has had a son. They said, Naomi has had a son. And God has stepped into her story. And her life has gone from bitter to better. What started off as I could never have any more sons. It's it's useless for me to think that I could ever have sons and your life should be bitter and it's bitter for me and God has turned against me. And now the women of Bethlehem have come around Naomi and said as she's holding uh, her new grandson, he is saying... I've made your life bitter to better. And you are better now than you were. And Naomi has a son. God is changing it from bitter to better. Now go back over to chapter 1. I found this really interesting. The women of Bethlehem are mentioned twice in this this book. In this book of four chapters, the women of Bethlehem are mentioned twice. Uh, The first time they're mentioned, it happens in chapter 1, verse 19. Notice as Ruth and Naomi are heading back to Jerusalem, notice what happens And what they say to Naomi as she's coming. If this were today, it would be on social media, right? They would look at Naomi and go, oh man, did everybody see Naomi today? They would be on Twitter and Instagram. They would be going in and they would be saying this in verse 19, so the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was astir because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? In other words, you're not looking so good, Naomi. Things aren't looking so good for you. You don't look quite yourself. I, you're not quite like I remember you. You're not looking very well. But I want you to hear what the women say now. The women's tune has completely changed. Again, and. 4 16 and 17, here's what the women say. The women living in their town say, Naomi has a son. Everything is different now. Naomi, God has brought Naomi on a pathway from bitter to better. And it's far greater than it was. And look at what God has done. Look at all that God has done. Check out verse 14 with me, would you please? Notice what God is doing. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. Maybe He he become famous throughout all of Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law. Your daughter-in-law who loves you is better for you than seven sons has given Him birth. God has brought Naomi from bitter to better. How has he done that? How has he done that? Well, the women say he's provided you a guardian redeemer. God has given you this redeemer. He has provided for you in a special way. He has renewed you, he is going to sustain you. And he says, Your daughter in law, this person who has committed her life to you, is better than seven sons. God has provided for Naomi and brought her life from bitter to better through people. Church, I want you to see that there are no grand miracles in Ruth's gospel. Do you ever see that? I mean, we kind of expect it, right? We go to the gospels and, and we recognize that Jesus and his character, I mean, he's forgiving people, but then he's healing so that everybody knows that, that God has the right to forgive sins. We see Jesus doing incredible things. And in other places in the Bible, we have come to expect God to to have a miraculous moment, right? We almost expect somewhere in Ruth that God's going to step in and there's going to be this grand event. But there's never a miracle in Ruth's gospel, there's never a parting of the Red Sea. There's no, there's no magic or, or great miraculous thing that happens in all of Ruth's Gospel. I mean, think about this for a minute. When they go over into Moab, there's three people that die. Wouldn't you love it if, if God were just through one of the people in the story? If God were just going to uh, touch one of those people or zap them somehow, and they were going to rise from the dead? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great if if the dead people in the story suddenly come back to life and voila, everybody's alive again. But that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen in Ruth's story. And wouldn't it be great that that when there's a famine in the land and people have to go somewhere else, wouldn't it be great if God like snapped his fingers or there was a little boy with with a couple of loaves and some fish. Wouldn't it be great if God just like snapped his fingers and came along and and voila, there was like lots of food for everybody, but that that doesn't happen in Ruth's story. How is it that God brings Naomi from bitter to better? Can I tell you, church, that it happens through the commitment of one person? It really begins with Ruth. Sometimes the miracles that God provides are not instantaneous. Sometimes the the miracles, if we can even call them miracles, the things that God does for the rest of our story don't come because He raises people from the dead that we wish were alive. It doesn't come because He takes our bitterness in the situation and He touches it and it just all is magically better and the sky from gray turns to sunshiny and, and rainbows. Sometimes the way that God works in our life and the rest of our story, the way that God puts us on a pathway from bitterness to betterness, is through the commitment of other people who in their character say I'm going to serve God and I'm going to be committed to you. This is the story of Naomi and Ruth. And God comes along and he eventually gets the praise. Praise be to the Lord. He has sent you a guardian redeemer. He has sustained you. He has redeemed you. He has provided for you. And there's someone that is worth more than seven sons. And she happens to be a foreigner how is it that God's going to put you on a pathway from bitter to better? I don't know. I mean, we'd all like for it to be a miraculous healing, a miraculous happening, but it could be, it could be that God's going to come alongside of you in the form of another person who's been faithful and committed to Him. And you're going to watch as God opens up your heart and opens up your life From bitter to better. And maybe the best part of this last chapter in Ruth, maybe the best part of this last chapter is that God does something extraordinary with the rest of the story. Do you suppose that Ruth was ever a little bitter in this story? Do you suppose in real life, maybe Boaz was a little scared? Do you suppose that he maybe was a little bitter at times? You see, they didn't know how the story ends like you and I know how it ends. For them, it was a living rest of the story. They didn't know all the things that we know as we turn the page. Do you suppose Ruth was ever bitter? I mean, think about it. She has to hang out with a really bitter woman for a long time. Can you imagine all the complaints? That Ruth had to hear from Naomi about how bad things were? I mean, all she did for a long time, Naomi, is complain and complain and complain. And so here is Ruth. She's committed her life to Naomi. Do you ever think that she went home or she laid her head down at night to go to sleep and, and, and she just thought, what in the world have I gotten myself into? What have I done? There's this incredibly bitter woman. Why didn't I just stay in Moab? Do you ever think that that Ruth, in those days during the barley harvest when she was going to Boaz's field, do you ever think like she thought, This is exhausting. I'm tired. I am worn out. This isn't fair. I didn't ask for this. I could have gone back to Moab and everything would have been fine. I probably could have gotten married there. She doesn't know how the story is going to end. She doesn't know uh, that eventually she's going to marry Boaz and have a son. She doesn't know that yet. Do you suppose Boaz was maybe ever a little bitter? A little scared? Uh, do you suppose that, that Boaz in the middle of this was, was a little anxious about what was going to happen? I mean, think about it. From what we know about Boaz, he was, a, he was a, a town guy. He was very powerful. He probably had a lot of influence. And here he is thinking about God, uh, thinking about trying to be a person of godly character. And it seems like God is, is leading him to go and, and marry a Moabite woman. Do you suppose he ever questioned that? you suppose he... He ever wondered like, am I doing the right thing? My suggestion to you is that they had to actually live life. They were living this story as they were making these decisions and they had to begin to stay in the moment to be informed. The only way they could live their life from bitter to better uh, was to begin to, to try and realize that God was a part of their story in the moment. Uh, see, th- we have the advantage, don't we? We get to read the end of the story. They never got the advantage of being able to say, oh, it's going to be okay in the end. I know that my my son's 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 son is going to be the greatest king of all of Israel, and that eventually, his son's 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 son and on down the line is going to be the Savior of the world. They didn't get to get up in the morning and go, Hey, it's all going to turn out in in the end. I know the ending of the story. I know the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Everything's going to go well because the Messiah is going to come in my family line. They didn't get that. It was like having half of Paul Harvey's story. They got the beginning, but they didn't know how this was all going to end. They had to stay faithful in the moment so that they could be on a pathway from bitter to better. Can I be frank with you this morning? I know we're in a virtual environment, but I hope you're watching and I hope you're listening. Have you ever had a family kind of crazy happen? I'm saying when you have a family crazy happen, I mean, do you have a family that has... Well, do you have a black sheep in your family? Maybe you have multiple black sheep in your family. Do you have hurt in your family? Do you have non-reconcile in your family? Can you look in your family history? Can you look at your line? And can you see hurt and, and dismay and kind of just crazy and chaos and crisis? Can you see that in some of your family? I look at the family that I grew up in and, and I see all sorts of Hurt. I've told some of you before that um, I grew up with a dad that I knew as dad. I still call him dad, but he was my stepdad. I bear his name, his name is Cahill. But my real my first name, my first last name, was Brooks. That's because my dad's name is Bruce Brooks. He and my mom got together and they were married and Shortly after divorced, I never knew him growing up. I met him for the first time when I was 18 years old. I was ready to graduate from high school. Do you have that sort of brokenness in your family? Do you have that kind of crazy in your family? And you're, you're thinking, what could God possibly do with this? Can God possibly use my broken family and, and the dysfunction that is available all the time in the crisis? Can He use that? Well, if you've ever wondered that, Ruth gives us an answer. You see, there's been all sorts of crazy going on uh, throughout this whole story. I mean, first of all, Ruth's a Moabite, right? Right? When she's a foreigner from a foreign land, you're not supposed to marry a Moabite. Uh, that's rule number one. But it's not just that. As, as Ruth gives us the ending of the story, as she gives us the rest of the story, we find that, that God has been using crazy families and dysfunctional situations Forever. And maybe we can find solace in the fact, maybe we can come around and praise God that while we don't know the rest of the story, He does. And so we can be encouraged that He can place our feet on a pathway from bitter to better because we recognize that if we stay in the moment and we're faithful and committed right now, that God could give us a rest of the story that we couldn't possibly imagine. Ruth and Boaz had no idea how this story was going to end, but the rest of the story is that they're going to be in the family line of the Messiah. Did you hear the story? I know sometimes as we gather in the Bible, sometimes we get to genealogies. We get to people who have birthed people who have birthed people who have birthed people, and we're thinking, I can just skip over that, right? Right? So my encouragement to you is the next time you come to a section like this at the end of Ruth, that you pause. That maybe God's giving us a rest of the story. Maybe He's giving us a vision of the sort of thing that might happen with you, that might happen with your family. In verse 18 it says, this then is the family line of Perez. Let's stop there. You know who Perez's mom is? Tamar. I'm here to tell you that in Genesis, Tamar is one of the messed up stories, the most messed up stories you will ever hear. Right? Tamar's husband dies, and her brother-in-law is supposed to provide for her an heir, but he won't. And so as things begin to go, she knows that she's going to have to try and keep the family line going by going to her father-in-law, Judah. But, but Judah has really written her off. She's a foreigner already, so she's a Canaanite woman, which is just about as bad as being a Moabite. And he decides that he's not going to have anything to do with her. He kind of gives her a false promise and she knows it. And in a crazy set of circumstances, she goes, she hangs out by the city gate, she's dressed as a prostitute, and she seduces Judah. This is crazy. She makes sure to secure payment and his seal and his staff. She gets pregnant from her father-in-law in order to try and be faithful and keep the family line going. And then when Judah finds out, before he knows that it's his son and his family line that's at stake, he wants to kill her. Now, I don't know what your Thanksgivings are like, but I'm guessing that nothing like that has ever quite happened to your family. And yet it seems like this whole craziness, this whole chaos is happening right in front of us in the Bible. That God has not spared us the truth of a family caught in chaos and dysfunction. And yet what we find at the end of Ruth is that God is giving the rest of the story. Listen. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron the father of Ram. Ram the father of Amenadab. Amenadab the father of Nishon. Nishon, the father of Simon, Simon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, who was the greatest king of Israel. Folks, you don't know the rest of the story. But God does. So He is going to set your path from bitter to better. One of the ways that He's going to do that for you as a church is when you decide, am I Naomi or am I Ruth? If you're Naomi this morning and your heart is bitter and you feel like life has been unfair, I want you to pray that God would send you a Ruth that you'd be open to what God will do in the form of human beings and your church to set you on a different pathway from bitter to better. If you say, I'm not Naomi, I am definitely Ruth, then I hope that you will pray that God will show you a Naomi. That you will be available. That you will commit your life to someone and help them see the Lord's blessing and perhaps you will be a part of watching as God gives a rest to the story, that you will see God do something powerful. As He changes somebody's life, He transforms them from something bitter to something better. Many years ago, when I was still in high school, I might have been a junior or senior in high school. And there was after a home football game and uh, we would gather together once in a while. It was a place that we called the Derby. It was in Idaho Springs, Colorado. It was a little sandwich place and we stopped there. It had a big Derby hat on the the sign. That's why we called it the Derby. And there was a, a young woman, a classmate of mine that came in for a really short time. She was there maybe half a school year. And I could tell that her life wasn't normal. It wasn't what you know, you and I would hope for for any one of our children. Her dad was going from job to job and they were living in low-end motels. And I can only imagine the sort of life that she was living. That night, I remember having a real serious conversation with her. I knew that she was going to be going. I think she had informed me, hey, it's, it's time. we got to be going again. Gang, all I had... All I had that night was my old King James Bible that my mom had given me, and that her 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 dad, my grandfather, had given to her. Its pages were all worn and kind of uh, bent over in the corners. That's all I had with me. So I prayed with her, and I gave her that old King James Bible. Now, I wish I could stand here and tell you, hey, I know the rest of the story. I know how it all turns out. She has many children and she loves Jesus and she uh, grows up to be a a world-renowned Christian. To be truthful, I don't know what's ever happened to her. But that night, I was trying to be Ruth to Naomi. I was trying to do whatever I could to try and allow God to do something for someone's life to bring them from bitterness to betterness. Are you Ruth? Are you Naomi? And church, we all need a Boaz. I don't want to make light of who Boaz was in this story, but we all need a kinsman redeemer. We all need Jesus. Jesus. We all need a guardian redeemer who can change our identity and be a part of redeeming us back in ways that we can't redeem ourselves. You need Jesus. And all the people in our world right now, they need Jesus too. Why didn't Christian church exist so that we can help people find and follow Jesus? And in a time of unparalleled chaos, in crisis, when people are, are wandering. Uh, Around the streets, wondering what's going to happen, my encouragement to you is let them know about their Boaz. Their life might be better now, it might be in chaos, but they need Boaz. They need a kinsman redeemer, and his name is Jesus. And while our security is not in lots of other things in this world, it's not in science or government or economy. It is in Jesus. He knows the rest of the story. So we put our faith and our trust in him because he's the one who can put our feet on a pathway from bitter to better. God's blessings, let's pray. Gracious God, we love you and we want to serve you this morning. And Lord, although this is a different environment in which we share, We want to say to you that we trust you, that our security is in you, that our confidence is in you. And Lord, would you do something powerful in the rest of our story? While we don't know the end, Lord, we trust that you do. And I pray that you would shape us from bitter to better, that you would take our circumstances and we would be faithful in the moment. So that you would do something extraordinary with the rest of our story. Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we pray that we would be bold and courageous in a season when people have all sorts of questions. I pray for the boldness and courage of your church. That they would begin to talk to people about the true Redeemer. That they would say, hey, there is someone who loves you so much and your security can be in him. And you can come around Him because He lived so that He might die. He died shedding His blood, breaking His body so that our sins would be taken care of, that we would be cleansed. And He rose again on the third day. And He's at the right hand of God the Father right now waiting to come again. And we can have security in Him. Gracious God, Tell us the rest of our story. Help us to believe in who You are and all that You've done. We thank You for Your goodness. And we pray all this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Church, we love You. Be safe in these days. Don't be afraid to reach out to your church. Don't be afraid to call Josh or Jed or Brenda or myself or one of the elders. We want to be here for You. We want to be here with You. And in uncertain times, we're asking that God would continue to place your feet on the pathway to better. We love you, church, and we hope that you have a fantastic afternoon. God's blessings.